The wait is over. The Shy returns with new episodes on Paramount+. Plus. What brings you to the Shy? Opportunity. Everybody get down! Walk right up to the A new rain is coming to the South Side. Never should have sent a boy to do a woman's job. The Shy. New episodes May 10th. Visit ParamountPlus.com slash The Shy to get a 50% discount off the Paramount Plus with Showtime annual plan. Offer ends July 14th. Subscription auto-renews. Restrictions apply. CBS Wednesday. We have so many cool, diverse people from different backgrounds, different beliefs, different upbringings, and it just keeps growing. I feel it in my I'm a citizen of the United States. I'm a hustler. I'm a big Taylor Swift fan. I'm the queen of the tribe. I'm a I am playing whatever role I gotta play. I'm gonna play this game for speed. I ain't going down like no punk. A new Survivor, Wednesday on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Welcome into the Gig'em 24-7 Sports Podcast. I am Andrew Hattersley, joined by Carter Carls. Fourth of July is right around the corner, and there have been some serious fireworks on the recruiting trail for Texas A&M as well. They have, they have picked up a bunch of big commitments over the past couple of days. The latest, Draylon Miller, top 247 receiver out of Silsby, a huge recruiting win over USC and LSU. Again, joined by Carter. Carter, uh, there's only one thing I'm really concerned about, and that is Brian has been on vacation through all of this, and <laughs> at the rate A&M's going, he might not be like allowed back on the on the board the way things are really going right now. Uh, Brian, just if you're listening to this right now, stay in Colorado. You know, maybe you can work for us again, but you got to stay in Colorado. Maybe he can work for us. But he's just got to be our, you know, our Mountain like, West reporter or something. I don't know. Hundred <laughs> percent. It's like his run of a. He he's got this infamous run of commitment ceremonies where he was having a bunch of bad breaks in a row. It's like the same the same sort of thing. He might just be out there till the middle of July when you know the commitments and the the decisions start to slow down. But obviously, really good news for for Texas A and M. This is a guy that they really really coveted and two years in a row has been. Probably the best player over at the state seven on seven tournament, if not one of the best, and just a dynamic player. AM sold him a little bit on, you know, the new thing is kind of Debo Samuel. Everybody's kind of mentioning the the Debo Samuel role. And that's kind of what AM's talked about with Draylon Miller is to use him a little running back, a little receiver, just any way you can get the ball in his hands. I highly recommend for those, you know, watching this, go go find some of his his highlights and you know, he can, he is dynamic with the ball in his hands. And so, you know, that's a player, I feel like what, with, with the addition of him, what do you feel like he kind of brings to a and what a guy, you know, like him that's so versatile can kind of mean for this offense? Yeah, I mean, this is an offense that last year, I mean, they, they've had the talent. They just haven't been able to put it together as far as scheme and, and blending that talent with them. So getting more of these guys that can make you more creative and and do just a whole bunch of stuff on the field, uh, flipping from multiple positions and being used in all these different ways, it can help your offense just become more dynamic. Uh, you've seen what Anaya Smith has done in that kind of role in 2020. And, you know, you think Draylon Miller, if he can do something like that. And 
just this pipeline of wide receivers that they're getting now with Moose Muhammad and Evan Stewart and, and, and now Jalen Miller coming up. Uh, and I mean, wide receiver recruiting has been pretty dang good when you, when you think about it. Uh, I think it's sometimes uh, people want to nitpick, but they've gotten some pretty dang good players. Not all of them have worked out, you know, Demond Demas didn't work out, but uh, you keep stockpiling these guys. You only need a couple of them to hit and you'll be solid. Yeah. You get like one or two, obviously Chris Marshall didn't, hit either but you know you hit on evan stewart in that class he's obviously already established himself as a as a name to know and you know i i think you and i kind of are on the same page a little bit on this and and we were before this but we were talking before the show recruiting momentum it's kind of a it's one of those things that you kind of judge right and and a&m's been on a good little run here the past couple of weeks obviously miles o'neill was a little bit earlier in uh in in June, Jordan Lockhart was one. And then, you know, things have really picked up the past, you know, Jordan Lockhart and Eric Carner actually last Thursday, Kona, Kona Eccles Friday, and then Weston Davis. And I think for me, really, like where things really started to get good for A&M was that Weston Davis pickup. But what do you kind of make about where A&M is the past couple of weeks and what they've been able to get done on the recruiting trail well momentum's always a good thing if you can get three stars mm-hmm. four stars it's all good uh but by the end of the class you judge it you know by the whole class you don't you don't judge it by these little streaks and you know i yeah. think last year the way people looked at that class it was kind of that a bit of a letdown after what they were able to accomplish in in 2022 yeah. Um, I didn't think it was that bad because, look, they finished 14 and they only had 19 players in that class. You know, when you have a smaller class, it's hard to crack in that top 10. I do think they missed on a few guys that they really wanted. And, you know, they had a few bad misses, absolutely. This class, with it figuring to be a, a bigger class, I think you were telling me it might be in that 25-player range somewhere yeah. there. They need to be in that top eight top six, you know, kind of that, that range they've been in. And, you know, it's funny. We always say, oh, top eight is great class. But then it's like sixth in the SEC. And you're like, ah, man, <laughs> there's six in the yeah. SEC. It, really it tells you how they're recruiting um, lately. But, like, I think realistically you say, okay, top eight, top six. Before Jalen Miller committed, they were sitting at 27 on 247, 22nd in the 247 sports composite. This kind of brings them into the top 15 and top 20 uh, in those two ranges. Uh, and so they still got work to do. I think it's it's easy to be kind of caught up in the moment of, oh, shoot, they got six commits in a week or, or whatever the exact number is. But yeah. overall, you got to look at how far are they. And I still think they've got a ways to go before you can say, hey, this is a great class. They got, they got their foundations, you know, they've got some foundational pieces. They just got to fill it out and, and get to that range. Yeah. And, and some of these guys could be, you know, uh, uh, bumped up in the rankings. I mean, Miles O'Neill being one of them. So, um, you know, yeah. even with the guys they've got, it could end up looking better than it did currently. So um, still have a ways to go. I'm not ready to say, oh, my gosh, uh, they're just killing it on the trail because, hey, they, they still have some work to do. but. Jalen Miller, I think, you know, you talk about Weston Davis. Jalen Miller, to me, was a, a big one. This is going to be a guy that you look at the end of the class and say, 
Uh, this, this is like one of the top three or five guys in this class. Uh, and so uh, this is kind of the big one that could move them up that next level. And uh, we'll see how they fill it out. No doubt. And I think they've hit on a lot of important positions the past week, right? Like starting with Eric Carner, you got a tight end in the class. Now you got a, you got two linebackers with Jordan Lockhart joining and Tristan Jernigan and Jordan Lockhart. So you feel better about that position still work to do with guys like Xavier Atkins, Justin Williams, some of those guys you swing big now and, and try to really finish out that class. And then the offensive line, you look at Cohen Eccles and Weston Davis to go with Ashton Funk. You still got, Obviously, Bennett Warren and Blake Ivy out there. You got Papa Afua as like kind of an interior guy. And then you add Gabriel Relaford. And I really like, you know, I, I had people text me after, and this maybe goes to the rankings point. I had a couple people text me after the Gabriel Relaford commitment saying, man, is that that pass rusher? I've heard that kid's a monster. And that's not people associated with AM. That's not people following AM. That's just people in the recruiting community who, kind of took note of it and and don't care about rankings or numbers that were like, man, I've heard a lot about this kid lately and kind of a late riser, kind of a late bloomer. If you want to talk about a guy that, you know, could rise up in the rankings down the road, I think that's certainly one. And you're, I, I, I think the, the Draylon Miller and the Weston Davis ones are big for me though, in the sense that with Weston Davis, you were battling head to head with LSU beat him for, for a guy like Weston Davis. At a, at a really, really big position of need. You look at Draylon Miller and they were battling USC and LSU. Those are two programs that, you know, were fighting for college football playoff bursts last year. And, and, you know, A&M's able to keep a kid home that obviously is at a huge position of need. I think, I think that's a, that's a really important recruiting win. And one of the things we talked about coming into the summer after last year, you know, when we kind of do like recruiting recaps and, and check with people last year, just felt like there wasn't like a ton of buzz coming out of the weekends. Like it was just kind of like, I had a good trip, got this up next and it was kind of onto there. And then July came around and they ended up missing out on a lot of guys. And they ended up having a nice run at the end with, you know, Jaden Platt and, and Marcel Reed and Micah Tease and a lot of those guys. But this year there's been like, it really feels like they've put together some really good weekends. And that's that's a real positive. The the vibe around recruiting feels a lot more positive this year. You know, I don't think Jimbo Fisher is going to have to go to SEC media days and talk about why the class is lagging and how concerned he is about the – I don't think there's going to be those sorts of questions this year. So from that angle, I think A&M's in a, in a better spot. Now, I'm with you. They've still got a lot of work to do when you consider – they still got to close out Blake Ivy at, at offensive line. Um, would be a big, would be a big win. Obviously, I feel good about where they stand there right now. Uh, Terry Bussey is a guy they've targeted. Were one of the first on ons way back to last summer. And you think about him, and you know that's the type of guy that I think is going to really push this class from, you know, where they are now to a top eight, top six type of class and. It really, for me, gets down to they've got to win on the field. They've got to put results on the field because if they don't, there's going to be guys in this class that that kind of look at the direction and, and question it. But if they can put together a strong results on the field, then I think you can really start to build off this, this strong uh, foundation. 
Now we also have to talk, obviously, and it, and for me, it it makes what they've done last week particularly more admirable. Is it's obviously been a really tough week around the Texas A and M program um, with Terry Price uh, passing away last Friday, and you know they still went, they were still able to go through and have their visit weekend and and try to move forward as best they can. But I know you've had a lot of um, chances to speak to people, and let me first say also that. You know, our condolences and prayers are kind of with the Price family and and everybody around them. It's a I'm, it's a very tough time for them, and so you know, I the Aggie community is really keeping them close and and keeping the prayers up. But you you've had the chance to speak to guys like R.C. Slocum and Kevin Sumlin. Just what have you taken away from from those conversations? Yeah, he he was a man who just seemed to have such an effect on everyone he came across i mean not just players not just coaches people that you wouldn't even expect i mean even reporters you know and and like the thing about kevin sumlin and rc slocum i I thank them so much for being open to to talking and doing the story i'm sure it wasn't uh easy for them to to kind of share some of those stories but i really wanted to talk to the two men kind of responsible for bringing Terry Price to A&M. R.C. Slocum brought, uh, pretty much was the lead recruiter. You know, his, his area was Dallas and uh, Terry Price was, was out of Plano. So um, he was his primary recruiter. Uh, and uh, Kevin Sumlin obviously brought him back in, in 2012. So those were kind of the two guys. And, um, What's fascinating is uh, it wasn't easy for them to bring Terry to A&M for, for RC. Um, he talked about how difficult his recruiting process was because um, he would not let any school talk to him or go to his school until after a senior season. He had and, some strict rules there. Yeah, and you think about it now, like there really is not any – recruit that would ever do that like like yep. that's uh you're talking to them as eighth graders and freshmen pretty much you know like they're yep. taking visits they're doing camps where they're in seventh grade um and then with kevin sumlin um uh, terry price had taken the job at texas tech and had been there for a couple months and kevin sumlin was like hey man i want you to come out here he's like dude i already moved, like moved to lubbock and so it was you have to read the story uh, to, to kind of get a sense of uh, how, how that went. But it was really interesting to hear that, like, not only was it hard to initially bring him to AM, but it was kind of hard to, to bring him back. But, you know, thank goodness he came to AM both times because he really left his mark. Uh, I think when you just talk to people about him and, and their memories of him and what he meant to this university, um, it really. I think you can make the argument that he's the most beloved assistant football coach that's ever coached here. Um, I was talking to one person about him and they were telling me, they said, you know, I don't know if they would do it. I I, I just, I don't, they put so much money into it. They're probably going to name it after one of the donors who put money into it. The new indoor facility, he was saying, "I, I would like them to name it after Terry Price. That would be pretty awesome. That'd now, be awesome. I don't know how that's going to happen. I mean, this was someone 
who would kind of have influence over that. So I, I don't, I don't know, but they were, they were talking about that. And I, I thought, man, that, how cool would that be in August when they reveal it? It's the Terry Price indoor facility, but you know, beyond that, yeah, just um, really thankful that RC and, and Kevin took the time and they shared some great stories. Uh, RC at one point said, uh, if every player I coached was like Terry Price, I, I wouldn't have gray hair. <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, so many great stuff like that. So y- y'all have to check it out if you haven't already. I highly recommend it. It's a really good read and um, certainly enjoyed it. I'm not, I'm not just saying that because I work with you. It was a really well well done story and and, and some beautiful stories in there. And I, I think I echoed, you know, from from a recruiting standpoint, I've had kind of a unique opportunity to get to speak to so many prospects that, uh, you know, or get recruited by Terry Price and, you know, Nigel Smith's one that was down on an official visit weekend. And it was, I can't imagine what it was like for him this weekend. It was a, probably a really, really tough weekend. Cause he is a guy that Terry Price had recruited for the last two years. And now he's coming down on an official visit and arrives, you know, basically around the time that the news starts going around that, that Terry Price had, had passed away. And so it was probably, a, I'm sure, a really difficult weekend for him. But I think he's a great example. And why I bring him up is, you know, very few conversations with Terry Price were actually about football. It was about so much more than that. And, and the way he's able to, you know, impact kids' lives and impact families' lives and talk about them off the, and talk with and connect with them off the field was really, really special. And I, and I, I, I said this, on an earlier podcast and and he was revered by a lot of kids and it wasn't because of the football acumen. Everybody obviously understands, you know, he was a tremendous football coach that had worked with Miles Garrett and, and, and what he had done there, but it was, you know, things like the barbecue, like how he, you know, how he, you know, used to, how he, how he brought barbecuing and grilling into, you know, cooking for his players and cooking for recruits and during the pool party at the end of the summer and how he did, you know, how he, a lot of players said when he would recruit them, he would talk to them and then ask to talk to their family as well. And it was so much about connecting with them off the field that he was just a special, special man. And, you know, getting to, getting to learn about him through recruits was a, was a special opportunity and and he will certainly be missed. That is for, for sure on, on every level. And I hope they do do something cool for him. And, you know, there's been some cool ideas kind of pitched around. So, you know, keeping his family in our in our thoughts, and just a just a tremendous loss for for the community. So, um, just lifting his lifting his family up. I'm sure it's a difficult time. We're gonna we're gonna take a quick break, and 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 when we come back, we're gonna switch gears a little bit and and talk a little Texas A&M basketball. Um, there was some scheduling news there, so um, we'll be back right after a quick break. Welcome back into the Gigum 24-7 Sports Podcast. I am Andrew Hattersley, joined by Carter Carls. Got to talk a little basketball here. There was some news earlier this week about they haven't released the full schedule yet, but they released the SEC opponents for Texas A&M basketball and then uh, also the ACC SEC Challenge, first year of of doing that. Texas A&M will go on the road to play Virginia. Another really strong non-conference matchup and I really like what's what they're kind of doing on that front what do you what do you what's kind of your impression of uh 
what it what the schedule non conference wise that A and M is putting together right now. Man, I, I freaking love it. I love it. We're gonna be <laughs> so entertained in November and December yep. with so many great games. Wow. I mean, you, first you got Virginia. I mean, at Virginia, I think people were like, "Oh man, I wish it was Virginia Tech to see Buzz Williams play his former team." But they may play them in the ESPN Events Invitational. I think yeah. that's why they avoided those two teams playing. You wouldn't want to see them play twice. I mean, we would no. want to, but they, they would look to avoid that and maybe have uh, more different teams on the schedule. And Virginia obviously is a, you know, program that's always in the tournament, won a national championship. Tony Bennett's, you know, made them uh, one of the, you know, powerhouses in college basketball. Oh, they've also choked in the tournament a little bit too, but, uh, you know, yeah. but mostly they're, they're a good team to have on for uh, your resume. Uh, but, so we mentioned Virginia. Houston's a neutral site game. That's easily going to be a quadrant one game. At Ohio State, don't know exactly how good they'll be. They weren't in the tournament last year, but with it being a road game, you have to feel like that could be a quadrant one game. Uh, at Virginia, that'll be quad one. Uh, home against Memphis, uh, may not be quad one, but it could be. I, I would assume it'd be at least quad two. Uh, and then you're going to play three of either Virginia Tech, Iowa State, Butler, Penn State, VCU, Boise State, and FAU in the ESPN Invitational. You're talking about having at least probably five quad one games in your non-conference schedule. And what we've learned about quad one games, at least in the non-conference play, it doesn't really matter that much if you lose them. Like, you only have – something to gain play quad one games and then when it comes to like quad three and quad fours you only have something to lose when you play those games you play Wofford and mm -hmm. you beat them no one cares you lose to them and everyone talks about it for the next three months that's what happened last year yep. and i think buzz williams kind of learned his lesson there and said okay committee not only did you screw us in 2022 but you screwed us in 2023 it's time we're going to go all out and make this schedule crazy to where no one can say anything <laughs> about this. And if you lose four of the five of them, hey, you won one quad one game, right? Yeah. Like it's not going to be that deflating. Now, you don't want to get killed and you don't want to lose all of them. But yeah, it's a numbers game. You just want to have one or two or three of them. And, hey, you're in a really good position. You are. And, and that's the thing for me is – and. Who knows, you know, DePaul's obviously been towards the bottom of the Big East this year until they prove otherwise. That's probably a game that you have to win, and that's one of those bad losses you can't have. SMU is obviously coming off a really bad year. That's another one in the conference. Um, you've got to win those two. And then, like you said, Memphis has been pretty good. It's, they've been like a, a fringe NCAA tournament team, tournament team a couple – the last couple of years, obviously, with Penny Hardaway. And so you expect them to be at least pretty good, right? And Ohio State road game, I think you can you can probably safely bet that's probably going to be a, a quad one game or quad two. But if you lose a quad two game, it doesn't matter. It's okay. But I think that's the point, right? What we've seen from the committee is if you, they're, they're basically looking at how many quad one wins did you have. And if A&M were to, you know, 
play that stretch pretty pretty nicely and you rack up a lot of quad one wins, even if you're you know okay to above okay in, in SEC play, they don't hold it against you. They we saw that last year with with Tennessee. That was a team that went out and played a brutally different difficult schedule. Was I think finished fourth right in the SEC? I think if I remember correctly, finished fourth. And they get a four seed because they went out and played a really hard non-conference schedule. And so, you know, I don't think it's going to be held against A&M at all this year. Um, they've obviously gone out and learned their lesson. And and this is going to end up being a pretty strong non-conference test. And you know what? I think this team's ready for it. You know, when you look at yep. what is coming back and what this team has, They've got four of their five starters back and Wade Taylor, Tyrese Radford, Henry Coleman, and Julius Marble. You know, you know a little bit more about your roles, right? You know Anderson Garcia is a guy that learned his role the second half of the year and really got comfortable. I'm, I I think he feels really, really comfortable in what, what he's doing. Manny Obasiki obviously got hurt at the beginning of non at the beginning of conference play last year, which was unfortunate. And I think I think he could have really had a role. And so, you know, what does he kind of look like going forward? I think this is a team that is ready to play a challenging non-conference schedule and do well. Yeah. And I think they will have learned another lesson last year, which is, hey, your November and December games do matter. And that they do. You, you can't just <clears throat> go into the season. I mean, I remember talking to Tyrese Radford about this. And he was like, yeah, we were ranked like 24th at the beginning of the season, and we kind of felt that way. Like, we just kind of went in the games. Oh, Murray State. Yeah, we're 24th. We'll beat them, you know? Yeah, we'll and, be fine. And eh, this won't really matter that much at the end of the season. Well, I, I think it almost gave, gives you trauma when, like, yeah. literally every day the, the name Wofford is mentioned. I mean, I've never heard the name Wofford mentioned more in my life than I did the last – three months of that season, uh, that will teach you a lesson. And you, you got guys that are experienced on the roster now. You mentioned Taylor going to his junior year, Radford coming back, being a, being a guy that's been around for a long time, Coleman, Marble, all guys that have been around a long time. And they, you know, bolstered the roster with a couple transfers, Eli Lawrence and <clears throat> Jace Carter. So, I think they filled out their bench and filled out their kind of versatility and defense and shooting a little bit better. They've just got kind of a little bit better in every regard and they brought everybody back. And so uh, I think they're ready for it. Again, you don't need to win all these games. Beating Houston is going to be very, very difficult. Uh, beating Virginia at Virginia, it's not yeah. going to be easy, but you beat Memphis at home. You beat Ohio state. Uh, you win a tournament game. Pick off or two. One of those games. Yeah, I mean that's all you really need, and then you go in the, and then you don't lose to A and M Commerce, right? Like don't lose to A and M Commerce, mm. don't lose lose yeah. to you know Houston. Uh, can't remember if it's Baptist or Christian. They maybe they're the same. I don't know uh, Baptist <laughs> or Christian. So uh, Houston Christian, I think it's Houston Baptist, but uh, I think it's Houston Baptist. Yeah. Yeah, don't lose to them. <laughs> and so uh, anyway, beat SMU, beat the Paul, and. Yeah, beat beat those guys and 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 you'll be you'll be just how fine. Is there, I, how is there a Houston Christian and a Houston Baptist? I'm, like, aren't they the same thing? I, I don't know. <laughs> I'm not sure. I'm not sure. We'll have to go look that up and 
and and go from there. Um, but I think it goes to your point, right? And I I was asked about this. I did a a podcast with the Dave Campbell's guys. They're they go around and kind of do a podcast with every team, and they kind of asked me, and I'd be interested to get your thoughts on this actually too. Was on the what a And M what clicked for a And M during SEC play, and I said, listen, they knew when they got to Florida, when they touched down in Florida to begin SEC play after losing to Wofford, you know, a week earlier, there was no more room for margin for error. Like they knew we've dropped all the bad losses we can possibly, possibly have. And so they played with that sort of focus and that sort of intensity, the rest of conference play. And that's why you didn't have a letdown when they went to Ole Miss or when they went to, South Carolina and a team that was down last year. They didn't have any of those letdowns. They lost to Mississippi State, lost to Kentucky, and the third one is against Tennessee. They lost to Tennessee. And so, you know, those three losses not aren't going to kill you. And they, they didn't have any other bad losses on the schedule. Swept LSU, who was bad. Swept, you know, obviously swept Missouri. And so um, ended up being pretty good. And so I think that was – that was kind of the key to that non uh, that conference run uh, on top of, you know, learning their roles and all that. Yep. It's uh, going to be a really exciting season. I, I think is. like, I understand A&M fans. We got to talk about this too. Uh, the director's cup standings coming out, they finished 24th. Yeah. It was their first back-to-back stretch of finishing outside the top 20 since uh, 04 and 05 through 05 and 06, uh, those calendar years. Uh, it's tough. This was a brutal AM athletics year. Yep. You, a lot of losses to Texas, a lot of bad tournament losses. Uh, when I say losses to Texas, I mean in the postseason. Yep. Uh, softball, obviously, uh, but, but, but baseball – the way that ended after having so much optimism, basketball, you had so much optimism. Like that was a thing. If, if there wasn't as much optimism, it wouldn't have been so deflating. But yep. It was tough. But I think this coming year, if you had to look at the three sports and say, hmm, which, which of the three probably give you the most confidence, it's got to be basketball. It's got to be my basketball. Opinion. Just because of all the talent you got back. Like football – you could talk yourself into it with all the talent and stuff, but it's the SEC. You can have everything going right and you still go nine and three, right? Yeah. And and baseball, I still think they got some questions there and they're going to lose some pretty important players. Uh, so uh, basketball is really the one that I'm looking at and I'm you saying feel really good. This, this is a team that could get like a three seed this coming year. Yeah, like that. That's how good they are. This could be one of the best teams this program's ever had. Um, that's how high I am on them. And yeah, this early schedule, we talk about how good it is for the resume. It'll also be good to prepare them for those tournament games. Yes. You know, you, these you, are the teams you play a see. bunch of tournament teams. Yeah, these are the teams. Like, I think last year, they didn't play a lot of tournament teams outside the SEC. So when they played the Penn, uh, Penn State, who was had such a unique style, I mean, I – saw Jalen Pickett go to the Nuggets. I'm like, this guy's a mini Jokic. That's going to be fun. Yeah. But uh, Jalen Pickett was so different than anything they played. And yeah. so playing a Virginia team that, you know, has that pack line defense and is so distinct 
playing Houston. I mean, they've got a very distinct brand of basketball. Memphis, too. Uh, playing them again, I think, will be really valuable. That will prepare them for the tournament to where, hey, they're not just going to go one and done. Maybe they can go the second weekend, maybe even the third. Yeah, no doubt. I, I completely agree with you. And I think it's, like you said, there's no harm in playing these sorts of games and seeing all these different styles that you might see in the in the tournament. So um, going to be really fun. It's it, The season's going to be here, both on the football and basketball side. We're going to be off and rolling here pretty quickly um, as we head towards the month of July. So again, thank you to everyone for, for joining us on this edition of the podcast. Uh, be sure to hit the like and share button. Um, this, this YouTube channel is continuing to grow and, and we really appreciate all the support and, and all of you, those of you who are following along, same on Spotify and iTunes. Be sure to like and like, and subscribe on there as well to get a notification every time a new podcast drops and we'll be back next week to discuss plenty more um got a lot of good topics we were already talking about for next week that we weren't able to get in this week so um got a lot to get to and and we look forward to being back to to join you guys so until then everybody have a great holiday weekend and we'll see you guys soon